I started down this whole journey of learning about well certification was Allison had sent me this wonderful article that she helped write and she's featured in that talks about a project she did designing this women's prison um, that uses these well certifications. And so when I sent this to my team, I don't know how many people watched The Office, but it was just like that Office episode where people read the article and they were like, wait a second, this prison's better than our job. <laughs> and people were so angry. <laughs> and then, and so we ended up having a whole discussion club um, with a well-certified architect to talk about ways that we can modify our work environment because, spoiler alert, um, working in a hospital, we have a lot of, uh, not a lot of these things going for us um, as employees of the hospital. Welcome to Well Developed, a podcast where we explore how to bridge the gap between well-being and professional development. My name is Erin Herrera. I'm the Associate Vice Chair of Well-Being in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm Rachel Moquin. I'm an Assistant Professor and Director of Learning and Development in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. And Erin and I um, started this podcast because we believe that it is difficult to learn well or perform well when you are not well. So in this podcast series, we'll be bringing in experts and sharing our knowledge and experience on these important topics. We hope to provide space to validate, normalize, and explore the ways in which we bring our whole selves to work. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Welcome back to Well Developed. Uh, we are so excited for today's episode. We have one of my lifelong friends here with us, um, who I'm so excited to could join us today. Um, this is Allison Johnson. Um, Allison is a licensed architect, and she is accredited Well AP and Lead AP professional. And um, she works here in St. Louis at HOK. And we are so excited to have Allison here with us today to talk about well certified spaces. Um, so I'm going to kick things off to Allison to um, tell us a little bit more about herself and also about well certification and what that means. Um, thanks for having me. This is a really fun experience. Um, so I am a licensed architect and um, has really delved into sustainability and how our environment affects us. And we've really delved into that through certifications available to the built environment. So I think we all have heard of LEED at some point. We may not know what that means, but WashU's campus has a lot of LEED certified buildings. I should have looked up to see if you have any well buildings, but the idea is that it's leadership and energy and environmental design, right? So um, looking at operational energy and those kind of things. Well, there's about a 10 to 15% overlap between well and LEED but it really delves into the person's experience and wellness in the space. So it's rooted in um, evidence-based you know, science and studies and uses existing like thresholds and things out in the world to then target those design elements, if that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. That's perfect. That's why I'm so excited to talk about today because I feel like I've said this multiple times on the podcast, but I think when people think about well-being and wellness, they don't really think about something that is evidence-based and science and has lots of, you know, validated resources that come along with it. So this is another one of those things that we can talk about that is actual validated science about well-being. It sounds like you will get into all of the different, there are 10, I think, sort of elements of well that 
you'll help us unpack, but it sounds like in our episode about sleep, one of the things that we talked about for people who are switching schedules was the amount of light you're exposed to and the type of light. And so those are the sorts of things um, that you help people think about in their built environment. So we'll get to unpack more of that. I'm really excited. Yeah, for sure. And how I started down this whole journey of learning about well certification was Allison had sent me this wonderful article that she helped write and she's featured in that talks about a project she did designing this women's prison um, that uses these well certifications. And so when I sent this to my team, I don't know how many people watched The Office, but it was just like that Office episode where people read the article and they were like, wait a second, this prison's better than our job. <laughs> and people were so angry. <laughs> and then, and so we ended up having a whole discussion club um, with a well-certified architect to talk about ways that we can modify our work environment because, spoiler alert, um, working in a hospital, we have a lot of, uh, not a lot of these things going for us um, as employees of the hospital. So um, I'd like to like kind of delve into that. So do you want to start with kind of telling us what, the 10 principles of a well-certified space are? Sure. So um, they go over really well-rounded, but air, water, nourishment, light, movement, thermal comfort, sound, materials, mind, and community are the 10 well categories. And then you it's, it's like the lead system where you go after certain credits. It has criteria. Some are preconditioned, so you have to do them to get a well-certified space. But it's really well-rounded in the sense that, you know, it's looking at all the senses and how our environment affects our well-being. So could we pick one and kind of talk through, like, examples of what sure. that means? Like, what's your what's your go-to one that you, we, we could unpack? Uh, let's talk about uh, light. Okay. A lot of—and I will say this, that well-certified buildings are um, only about 20% design and 80%— a policy. So a lot of it is how your employer, you know, like um, requires certain things of spaces. So um, I'd say that air and light are higher in, in water maybe, or higher in the design elements um, into the space. Okay. Uh, let's look at light. Okay. Yeah. So um, light really looks at a wide variety of things, right? There's color temperature. There's amount of light. There's the surfaces it reflects off of. And so um, well is kind of multifaceted. Again, there's a lot of different categories there. But one of them is the, um, the color of your work surface and how much light is reflected off of that and making sure that the foot candles, which is a measure of intensity of light, I think I'm saying this all right. Mm. Like, I'm an architect. I'm a generalist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, like, light specialist. Uh -huh. um, but, it, you know, you have a certain requirement for the light level at your desk versus at your foot hmm. level. So, I mean, we don't want to overlight a space because mm. then there's issues. It also looks at glare. Mm. So, one of the things that we are required to do is have our computer screens perpendicular to windows instead of being backlit by windows. So you have like, because mm -hmm. our eyes have to adjust, you know, so having not, and then, you know, uniformity of light, it, it goes into really all of these different things. Mm -hmm. um, in the project that I'm working on at the Ohio Reformatory for Women, and I don't want to jump ahead, but 
We went even above and beyond and did a full circadian lighting design that looks at color temperature. So Well is focused on a workplace. And although it allows like alternative compliance paths for weird spaces, it was really designed about like the typical office, mm -hmm. right? And um, what we've learned, what we learned through science is um, the chart, and I'm not sure you guys have seen it as... Um, as health professionals, but there's a cyclical pattern of cortisol and melatonin that your body produces when exposed to certain kinds of light and the amount of light, right? We want blue light mm. in the morning because that helps us create melatonin, you know, on that circadian path. We want red light at night, you know, so it's it's mm -hmm. basically this alternating thing. Um, but blue light helps with alertness. So you don't want to wear blue light. I mean, you think blue light glasses are the thing. Uh -huh. Stare at screens all day. Well, you want that blue light until like a few hours before bed. And so we did a full circadian lighting design there. And I think it's the first, maybe not the first in the world, but um, definitely a... Um, innovative, you know, it, it, it's not happening yet in prisons as a standard of practice. And so the women um, are being exposed and it's being studied. So um, exposed to bluer light and then redder light at night to help with their, with their sleep patterns because sleep is so important. I mean, you guys did the podcast on sleep is so integral. I'm going to ask you what might be a silly question. Yeah. Uh, when I go to pick out light bulbs in the light bulb aisle, is that why there's a million different, like, warm white, cool white? Is that sort is that of. sort of what you're talking about? Like, what light bulbs should I be buying for my office lamps? Yes, yeah, your office lamps? Um, probably on the bluer spectrum. Okay, so a higher Kelvin. Um, like, I had 2,700 in my dining room light, and it was really, really, like, yellow. Okay, so for your office light, you probably want to be brighter. Okay, not a little bit better. That this, this like actually gives me a lot of hope. What you were just talking about, because for me, when I hear light, I just think natural light. Like that's the first thing that my brain oh, goes too. to, and that's like for us at the hospital. We talked a little bit about it in the sleep podcast. Is you know all of the windows were dedicated to patients, and so as you know, employees of the hospital, we tend to not have windows. And then where I see most of the you know, issues with the well-being certified spaces in the operating room where we have no windows and you have no water and you can't bring in plants and food, obviously, because it's a sterile environment. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. So it's interesting to think about, I know we don't have much wiggle room with lighting in the operating room. It needs to be quite light uh, to see what we're doing. <laughs> but interesting to think about more of our office spaces and our classroom spaces. There are also, you know, things that people have designed to help accommodate people that work, you know, shift work and things like that. And so um, there are things called like light showers where, and we looked at them um, to put them in hospitals where people can just literally go bathe in, you know, more tunable light that's higher intensity, closer to actual sunlight, you know, just for like 20 minutes a day. And it is proven and I'm bad at stats and I can't just rattle it off to you, but you can improve your health with just getting outside for 10, 15, 20 minutes um, at certain points in your day um, or being exposed to those things. So 
we've looked at them in like um, break rooms, you know, where when someone has a break in between surgeries, they could go just literally like bathe in higher intensity blue light to help with that circadian pattern. So these lights I see in the wintertime for seasonal depression, yeah. they're, they're like a red reddish light though, right? Are they? I don't know. According to TikTok, that's what, <laughs> that's what they look like for me. But that's interesting to think about, yeah, whether those would also be helpful for yeah, not in a that, spectrum that falls I would, in. I would I'd delve into it a little bit. And they may be tunable. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't. Um, red light, I mean, we get a lot more of that kind of light in the winter because it's, you know, it's a, a spectrum, right? So, um, but sunlight generally is higher blue, like blue on the spectrum. And that's what you need for alertness. But then it helps create the cortisol, or that helps to create the cortisol. And then um, eventually the melatonin. So it's the, they're like, yeah, because it's a crossing nature. Um, you know, lines kind of looks like a sound wave, you know. Yeah. So it's well, bad news for fellow uh, winter haters and indoor kids. I'm yeah. Double whammy. <laughs> I, I avoid going outside in the winter here at all costs. But it, it sounds like that's a little adjustment I should make is going to <laughs> like for a few minutes, a few minutes. It, it is. Do it. Uh, I think that's what I've been hearing lately is that like it doesn't take a lot to, you know, to really adjust those, get those. All right, I'll commit, I'll commit on the podcast. To, I'll aim for 10, 10 minutes a day. I'll try to go outside. I, I try every- While you're out there. And, and me. <laughs> I don't just, don't just lay on the driveway. <laughs> I do, I try to find, I'm not the, the most shining example of uh, well-being, uh, I think, lived out. Uh, but a couple episodes ago, it was the sleep one, um, where Alicia was telling us to not drink caffeine, I think within like 90 minutes of waking up. I have applied that every day and I feel like it's really helped. So I'm trying every time we record, I'm trying to find like one thing that I can. With 90 minutes of waking up, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel. be the other way around. Yeah, feel miserably at that one. I've done it. And I feel, I don't know if it's like, you know, just the placebo effect that I'm doing it, but I feel like I'm having an easier time falling asleep at night. Like something about the delayed start of caffeine has helped. Yeah. So I'm going to add the 10 minutes a day of moving Outside, even in the winter, mm-hmm. we'll see. Look at me. We're just, I can all helping. So many people whose computer monitor is facing their window. That's, yeah. that's such an easy tip for people to do. Just move where your commu- computer monitor is. Mm-hmm. Great. Let's okay. Let's talk about um, another another option. What's another big one for you? Another big one is probably air, but that's not as interesting to talk about. Yeah, it's interesting when we looked through all of these and we thought about these in the sense of the operating room, air was like the one we had. We're like, well, we have excellent air filtration. operating And outdoor. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I think one of the well requirements and undermined actually is that people are aware of their environment and what the well certification does for them. And, um, Talk about that. I mean, that's that's actually really, really great. I mean, um, you know that, here's an example that wouldn't apply to you guys per se, but um, that sleepiness that we get after lunch, like in a lunch seminar in a conference room after you guys have all eaten and 
Um, that's actually like not from tryptophan. That's not from like turkey you might have had. That is because the CO2 levels have li- risen, not unsafe, but have risen in this environment where we're all crammed in and um, it makes us sleepy. Ooh. So that after lunch slump is because we're all just adding CO2 to this small space and not, you know, like there's not 100% outside air like you would have in an operating room. So um, something that well does to counteract that is put CO2 sensors in spaces. And it's not an alarm. It's not like dangerous levels of CO2, like in space or something, but it's it does make us sleepier. Mm-hmm. So in a well-designed um, building, you would have CO2 sensors and then the HVAC would accommodate and add more more outside air into that space so that you don't have those, you know. Hmm. Is there a way you can mitigate that without a fancy HVAC system? Just not sitting in a conference room, you know, for hours on end. I mean, that's kind of policy-based. But you don't have to worry about that in an individual office. You wouldn't have to worry about that in in your operating room. Yeah. Well, that's what I wonder for people who facilitate professional development or for those of us who plan these things, like, are there other, it sounds like considering not making something where we sit in the same room all day, but like, what are other things we can consider um, for those of us who are planning like educational opportunities for learners in a classroom or professional development? Maybe book a bigger room, you know? I mean, it's all about volume of air. Um, I would say that most buildings already do it in large um, like auditorium spaces, you know, that's kind of built in to have that higher turnover rate of air. But um, maybe just book a bigger room than you think you need. That would be easy solution. Um, we could still use part of it, but mm-hmm. air moves, right? Yeah. So yeah, and maybe even like being more mindful of light. I know. I think it's interesting because I, I, when I think about being in meetings where I'm like super tired, it's always because someone's looking at. I'm looking at a PowerPoint presentation and we've dimmed the lights and we've all been sitting in the same room all day. And um, yeah, Maybe to consider light. And telling people to get outside, you know, is important. I think if you have the opportunity to book a room or, you know, plan it in a room with light and windows, you're always going to be better off. Good. So, you know, not putting it in those interior, prioritizing that over how well you can read the screen is probably. Hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah, maybe like better learning by just booking the right room, you know, better movement opportunities, light, having snacks can actually increase your uptake. And professional development world, I think um, at a lot of these like, well, summits and things, they are good about um, booking yoga, you know, at between, between sessions and, this last time I went to Wall Summit in D.C. this fall, um, it was out completely like outdoor venue. Wow. Um, they didn't plan for the construction that happened. You know? <laughs> Sounds like they're ready to a sound problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, that is that is another design issue. Yeah, what a what a great segue. Let's talk about sound. Because I read in the article about um, the women's facility that they're putting piping in nature sounds and stuff and the impact of that. Again, multifaceted, kind of like light is, right? It's um, controlling, making sure our spaces 
um, consider what the function is. And so obviously this room is, well, I mean, it is dead. The, the sound in here um, has been completely considered. There are seals around the door. Um, but even location in the building has probably been considered when they made the sound studio. Um, in a prison environment, in a mental health facility at a prison environment, a lot of women are highly dysregulated. Mm. And so the concern there with the client was that, um, you know, people affecting other people and a very common material in prisons for durability and safety is just con concrete block walls. And so we did a lot of um, making sure that there was good sound absorption. Um, we couldn't get the point it's a point system, right? So we're going, we're not yet well certified. We're very close to going in for the design review. We hope to submit in the next week or so. Um, but one of them is just a category on doors. And um, this door probably would would qualify for those stipulations. It's the thickness of the door. It's the um, sound transference. It's putting um, gaskets. In a women's prison, they have to have a hole in the door, a pass-through, right? Um, and they had to have windows so for safety in a lot of the, um, in all of the dormitory setting areas. And so we just couldn't go after that point. It didn't make sense. But we did look at making sure the ceiling was super absorptive. So at least you're not getting the sound echoing. And then another really unique thing um, is that they are, they have like an old school um, uh, like announcement system in their rooms. They have access to those channels and um, some of the channels are just like nature sounds on repeat so they can pipe that into their rooms or there's some music, you know, and things like that. And so, yeah, doing some kind of different things to yeah. really think about, about the mental health of the, the patients there, the women there. Well, it's interesting. So we actually had botanical gardens come to look at our office spaces um, and they were there to help me with the therapeutic horticulture project, but they also were kind of looking at the site and they were, not only do we not have any plants in our in our offices right now, um, just because like, like I said, we don't have a lot of like exterior light, but they also were talking about how just a picture of nature, it like tricks your brain into thinking you're seeing nature. So they were one of their suggestions to us was take down some of our artwork and put up more nature-based photography and nature-based nature, nature -based things. Um, so it's interesting to me that you can like trick your brain just by piped in nature sound and by looking at pictures of leaves um, kind of has maybe not as as good of an impact as whether you're actually outside, but, but can help in the same sense. So that's called biophilia. And that is the kind of infusion of nature in design. Hmm. And so sometimes that's a literal photo and that we did that actually. We printed um, local Ohio scenes and other nature scenes on acoustic panels um, and put them up in their like day room spaces. Um, but biophilia goes way beyond. Um, yes, it could be a living wall in your space, but they've done studies, and this is kind of for the healthcare environment, um, where fake plants 
even have can have the same effect on people. It's not purifying air, right? Me in the hospital, you already have purified air. So um, I actually, when I heard about that study, promptly went and got some very realistic fake plants for my front porch because I never remember to water out there and I always feel guilty. So I did add a little more plastic to the world, but um, they'll go out every year and I won't have to keep replacing them. And, uh, you know, yeah, I have the same kind of effect on people. So, mom, if you're listening, my fake plants in my house that I don't have to worry about keeping alive are just as good. <laughs> Not just as good. Well, that's a great, like, <laughs> low-hanging fruit, too, for people that are sitting in their office. Like, mm-hmm. Rachel and I both talk about how our offices don't have windows and, you know, but it's so interesting to think about, like, just bringing in a fake plant that costs a few dollars yeah. to make a difference in our oh, well-being. Absolutely. And also, biophilia goes beyond just the, um, the like, stereotypical scenic, you know, things. It's It can be in organic patterns and, you know, things that mimic our, our um, you know, nature's way of doing things. So it could be, um, yeah, I'm trying to, like, leaf, pat, you know, things that are organic and not as hard-lined and um, if it's florals or um, things, I don't have, it, it's hard to describe these things on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of like botanical prints and... Botanical prints, but it can even be like not even a literal interpretation of that and it's considered mm-hmm. myophilia. And so um, sometimes it's like shade and shadow, like mm-hmm. thinking about how light changes. Um, sometimes it's it's color palette. Sometimes... It's just in the shape of like what we bring into a space. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it could be literal. I mean, when we, when we talk about biophilia, the first image that comes to mind for architecture is a living wall, you know, like a green wall when you walk into space. But it's, it's much, it's, it's also using like natural materials. So um, thinking about bringing in natural woods or even wood greens into your space. Um, and in thinking about thinking outside the box works too. Yeah, that's great. So everyone listening, look around your office right now and think about a place you could add a fake plant or a picture. It would help. Uh, the other one I really wanted to make sure we talked about today was um, community. Talk a little bit about that one. So it is mostly policy. It's less about um, our um, like what we do in architecture before the building opens. It's about um, ownership, or, you know, that um, a building owner, the boss, bringing in these work-based policies. And it's really, it's kind of a hodgepodge. I mean, it's all affects community, but, um, and mind is in there as well. But it could, it's everything from making sure, and this doesn't apply to you guys either, but making sure there's proper first aid personnel on site. It's making sure you have a policy if something terrible happened in your workplace and how you're going to take care of your employees after the fact, having a plan of action. Um, you know, bringing in therapists or um, counselors after a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. It is opening up your space for others to come in and um, learn from you so that they can go do those things giving tours, kind of things like that. Um, having uh, 
shot clinics, you know, at your space. So um, things that you guys are doing a lot of, I think, just in the na- in the nature of your um, what you do. But um, yeah, so it's more creating community and mm-hmm. opening your spaces to yeah. And how does your um, space affect the greater community? And so thinking about it kind of in those terms. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of interpreted that when I read it. We always talk about how we created these new anesthesia offices and like the best thing we put in it was this super long lunch table where we all sit together in one big lunch table because it kind of, when everyone's in a group, I think the conversations tends to be more positive. And we always have been talking about how getting people into one big communal group like made such a good impact on our space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see how, yeah, opening it up to wider audiences just improves the space. It's a long linear table. <laughs> you know, there's only so much. <laughs> so I think um, something that, and this is not necessarily, I think it's kind of more in movement and thermal comfort, but some of these these little um, nuggets that they want to encourage in a well-certified space are kind of woven in differently, but it's giving people autonomy. Um, and so what that looks like um, If you're in an office building, remember, this is designed around like an office building. If you're a person that needs to work in a quiet space, you potentially have a little breakout room that you could go touch down in. Um, Or if it's freezing, if you're one of those people that's freezing all the time, it sounds like you are. (laughs) That's me. There's a blanket in my office that I use all the time. It's, It's like allowing that autonomy that you can bring in a blanket or providing blankets, you know, that people can check out. Um, in an office space. So um, usually my example the other day on a call was Hooters, but like <laughs> that's a terrible example. But the idea that they have a specific uniform, they can't add to that uniform to make themselves more comfortable. So usually workplace policy on dress is allowed. I don't know if you guys can add layers to your scrubs, but the idea that you could, you know, change what you wear or how you, um, or moving spaces, you know, kind of allowing that. Providing opportunities for more communal work versus alone work, you know, heads down alone work. That's kind of, it's kind of built into some of these other policies. Yeah, yeah. that And that goes back to, there is some like built environment, like choices we make about what's in the space, but a lot of it is policy and about what you give people autonomy to decide about within the the built environment. Well, great. This was super duper helpful. I feel like, you know, when you look at a thing like this, it seems like coming into a building that's already built that's not well certified, it seemed a little daunting that there was changes you could make. But I feel like there's lots of like little things that you can contribute to your space. And if you look at the, like CDC put out a, um, has put out charts on on the determiners of health, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that's, healthcare system, some of that's where you were born, you know, what zip code you live in. Um, But a huge, like over 50% of it is your environment Mm. and um, the social part of of our health, you know, like what we are involved in. And so, um, yeah, these small moves can have big impacts because it is a large portion of how we interact with the world, right? Yeah. If you think about... um, you know, we probably spend at least 90% of our uh, our lives indoors. Um, that gives me 
it it motivates me as an architect to really affect. Mm. You know, if if someone told me, and this is probably the last um, the last thing I'll say, but if someone told me seven years ago when I started HOK, you were going to work on prisons and it was going to be the most rewarding work of your life, I would have thought you were crazy. Like, I don't even want to, I mean, I don't want prisons to exist. Like, why would I want to like contribute to them? But if I'm not designing them, who is? And, you know, these women are there 24-7 and have mental health challenges on top of, you know, being incarcerated. And so being able to design a space that aids in there, like what is more rewarding than that? Mm. Like what what could have more effect on someone's lives? And so, um, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time indoors and that really, um, they have to make moves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I, like admittedly, my office is like very over the top. Like there's wallpaper and lights and all kinds of stuff. And I know everyone thinks I'm crazy. But so we spend so much of our time at work. And I think a lot of people put a lot of effort into their homes and they think about their interior design of their homes. But then I'll see those same people come to work and they sit in this like boring little box with no photos or nothing. But that's a big chunk of your life. And when you consider like the amount of that life and how much that's affecting your being, well-being, like sitting in a terrible, boring office all day, (laughs) no light and no movement is really impacting you even if you go home to a beautiful home and all this stuff that's that's eight hours of your day that you are not in those spaces fake plants man just bring in some fake plants fake fake plants that's the take home move your computer monitor away from the window and bring some fake plants more lights in think about the think about the light bulbs and what brings you yeah you know yeah yeah, it brings you joy bring that into your space my pink blanket that i wrap around me like a grandma yeah (laughs) for sure I have my illegal wallpaper up in my office that I ask, ask a forgiveness, not permission. I love doing with you. Decorate your wallpaper. <laughs> Her and Emily, like, like, like yes, don't tell me. One of my other wonderful friends is an architect here at WashU for our spaces. And uh, <laughs> I, I was told that was illegal. But there are lots of architects and facilities planning here at Washington University that I'm sure um, have a lot to say about these things as well. So um, it's important to know know the experts in these areas and find ways that, to improve your spaces and give people autonomy. That's a yes. Like if you're responsible for the policies, give people autonomy. Yeah. Even like helping people like choose an office that maybe is better for them if they're more of a quiet worker and want to be farther from communal spaces. That's important. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was, this is wonderful. Great. Thanks. See you next time.